all of those that are here. Oh, we're playing some music, too? Oh, man, I thought it was going to have a great morning. Uh, some of them in the room, we were trying to do the dance, so I don't know if you guys were doing that at home, but we were, we were starting to dance. Uh, not long ago, there was a gentleman uh, started to notice that there wasn't something quite right with his body. There was something wrong. He wasn't sure what it was, so realized he needed to go to the doctor and have that checked out. So he went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, man, we're... We're not really sure we're going to need to refer you to a specialist. So the specialist ran some tests, and they did, checked everything out. And after all the tests were done, and after the specialist observed everything, uh, they had a diagnosis, and it was rather serious. And so they actually called his wife in. They wanted to talk to her about what was going to need to be done first. And so the lead doctor started to describe to this wife, she's like, he's like, yeah, I'm really sorry to tell you, but, but very likely... Um, your husband is likely going to die from this. It's a very rare disease. If, it goes left, if it's left untreated, uh, not only will he die, he'll probably pass away pretty quickly. But the doctor went on to explain that, that there's some good news with this, that if, if under the right treatment and with the right medications, and the, if the things were done quite right, he could actually survive it. He could actually probably beat the diagnosis. And the doctor began to explain that one of the things that was going to need to happen is that she would have to really step up to the process, that, that he was going to need some very specific dietary needs and that she would probably have to prepare meals for him three times a day. The environment that he was in was going to have to be very sterile, very clean. It would take a lot of effort on her part to keep the, the, the house clean and all of that, probably almost nonstop around-the-clock help probably more work than she could even imagine it was going to be. And, but basically the doctor said, if you're willing to do this, if you'll cook and you'll clean and, and really just serve him for the next 18 to 24 months, your husband will probably live. And the wife was devastated and she was shocked and recognized that, man, there is a lot that's going to be required of me if I'm going to save my husband. So she walks into the waiting room and her husband is, you know, nervous with anticipation. Like, what did the doctor say? What did the doctor say? And the wife grabbed him by the hand and looked into his eyes and said, you're not going to make it. <laughs> oh, that's cold. Sorry. Uh, they're laughing in here at home. You should be laughing. It's a joke. It's a joke. She wasn't going to. Okay, so here's the deal. In our lives, it's rarely that extreme, but oftentimes we respond the same way. Where the, where the stakes aren't quite as high... But neither is the call to action. Does anybody back there know what I'm... Let's try that. Let's try that. Good. Stake's not quite as high, but the call to action is not quite as high. We're merging on the freeway, and somebody's trying to get in front of us, and we could easily slow down, but... Oh, wait, can we just slow down and let them in? Or, or maybe there's somebody that's had a bad week, and we just need to cut them some slack. Maybe, maybe when church is back in session, then there's a chance for you to jump in and help out, even if it doesn't fit what you love. Maybe your neighbor needs their lawn mowed. Maybe at home, you empty the dishwasher without being asked. I hope my kids... Are you got kids? Are you watching at home? Um, whatever the reason is, oftentimes we decide, sort of like the wife, like, yeah, I can't do that. That's a little more... I can't do that. And during this series, during the summer, what we're talking about is we're really looking at how do we follow the leader, our leader being Jesus? How do we follow him? How do we make our lives look like the life of Jesus? How do we focus on that? How do we see that? And this morning I want to recognize that Jesus continually served those that were around him. Jesus was continually looking how to take care of those around him and how to be able to love those. And this morning I want to see what that looks like. 
And the first idea, the first thing you and I need to notice is that Jesus loved with irrational acts of service. When we watch the way Jesus loved, specifically when it came to his acts of service, it doesn't fit our understanding. Basically, by saying it's irrational, it just means it goes beyond what makes sense to you and I. It's irrational because it goes beyond our selfish desire of what we often want to do. Last week, we looked at the fact that that Jesus loved by living life alongside of people. And the challenge was that you and I would follow that lead, that we would come alongside of people and love them through life. In the coming weeks, we're going to see that Jesus loved through offering forgiveness. And the challenge will actually be to offer almost irrational forgiveness. Forgiving people that don't deserve it. Forgiving people that haven't even asked for it. Jesus forgives us. And Jesus forgave us. And the cost for him to forgive us almost feels irrational. He had to give up his life. And today what I want to see and what we want to look at is the fact that that Jesus loved through acts of service that almost seem irrational. But if you and I are going to follow our leader, it likely means there'll be some irrational acts of service that we need to be prepared to take. Today we're going to look at a story, if you've been around church for very long, you've probably heard it. It's the story where our leader, Jesus, washes some feet. Essentially an amazing picture of Jesus serving and taking on the position of a very humble servant by serving those that he was leading. The story is in the book of John. Uh, John was written, or the book of John, this is where the Bible gets really tricky. The book of John was written by a guy by the name of John, you guessed it. Um, John was one of Jesus' closest friends. We're going to start in verse 1, but before we start reading, we need to kind of know the context of what's been happening and what's coming. The day after this, Jesus is going to be crucified, and Jesus knows that it's coming. And crucifixion is this horribly excruciating experience, horribly excruciating both emotionally and physically and mentally, one of the worst ways of torture and death. And if we can get in our mind and understand that in this moment where we're about to read, Jesus recognizes that the, the, the ultimate point of his life is about to happen. Everything that he has been aiming for is leading to this point. He has come, he has come to earth to live and ultimately to give his life, and he knows it's coming. So knowing that, try to imagine the emotions that he's feeling and the thoughts that are running through his mind, knowing what is about to happen. Verses are going to be on the screen, and they're in your message notes. Here's what happens. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. Again, he knew he was about to be crucified. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knows what he's about to face. He knows that the next hours are going to be grueling. And now he's eating dinner with his closest friends, knowing that one of them is about to go and hand him over to those that will be killing him. And I realize we haven't really reached the point in the story where where Jesus starts loving by serving his friends, but what we need to understand, what we need to get in this moment is we have to recognize that Jesus loved by serving even during a really tough week. Like sometimes we're like, it's a hard week. I'm not sure I can serve. So imagine this, what Jesus has going, he knows that he's about to be crucified. That's coming. 
He knows that one of his best friends, Judas, is about to betray him. But it's been a tough week leading up to this point. Get this, up until this point, he has had a rough, rough week. On Monday, on Monday, he went into the temple and he had to chase the people out because there were individuals in there selling things and they were overpricing it and it was basically criminal activity. And Jesus went into the building and he started flipping over the tables and chased the people out and said, you're not going to use my father's house as a place of profit. You're not going to make money here. This is a house of worship. And he ran them out of the church. The next day, Tuesday night, massive fight with the religious leaders. Wednesday, we don't really have a record of what happens Wednesday. It's a little bit of a calm day, probably hit up Chick-fil-A, something like that. Just It's a down day. Thursday, now they're gathered in this room. And Jesus knows that he's, he's going to give them this sort of final speech in just a second where he's going to describe his body and his blood that are going to be offered for the people that, and that they can eat, take some bread and take some wine and, and eat and drink and remember his body and his blood that would be shed for them. This very heartfelt moment that we know is the Last Supper or Communion. All of that is going on, and he knows that his disciple is about to betray him. He knows that one of the closest guys is going to deny knowing him three days. He knows that on the next day, he's going to be beaten. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be tortured and hung on a cross. (laughs) And now he's at dinner with these guys that he's invested his entire life in, and an argument breaks out amongst the guys. The disciples who have been hanging out with Jesus for three years all of a sudden revert to like two-year-olds. Because one of them suddenly says, hey, I wonder which one of us is going to be the greatest. Now, which one, out of the 12, who do you think Jesus likes best? And one of them's like, well, it's probably me. And then all of a sudden this dispute breaks. Like, well, who's the best? And who ranks the highest? And who does he like the best? And who's his favorite? And they're, they, we don't know exactly how it happens, but, but John actually wrote that he was the one that Jesus loved most. So he's probably like, well, I'm the greatest. He loves me most. And Peter's like, guys, come on. If we're talking about who's the best, like, which one of us walked on water, right? Like, you guys all stood in the boat. I actually got out of the boat. I was walking on water. And then somebody else is like, and then you sank. (laughs) One of the guys by the name of James is like, well, what about me? And everybody's like, nobody's going to remember you. They're like, we got two James here. Is that James's? We've got two James's here. And no one's going to remember you, James, because you, James, you're actually known as James the Lesser. I don't know that that was his given name by his mom. But they all, there, there was James, I guess James the Greater, and then there was James the Lesser. So James the Lesser, you got no shot. And so they're having this great big dispute about who's the greatest and who does Jesus love most. And imagine Jesus. He's like, we already talked about this, guys. The greatest one is the one that serves. Jesus is like, I already laid this out. Jesus is like, I didn't even come to be served. I came to serve and lay down my life. And he looks around the guys, and, and he's having this final meal. It's his last moments with them, and his, his closest friends are just losing their minds. Probably a little sadness in his eyes as, as he sees their proud hearts. But then he also notices their dirty feet. And in that moment, rather than saying, let's try and change their proud hearts and let me talk to you about your proud hearts, Jesus decides, I think I'll just wash their feet. Like, this one's mine. I got this. Read on. This is what it says. It says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist. Remember, this has been a terrible week. 
This has been a terrible week. And the friends that he's about to trust everything to, like the whole plan is in place. And he's about to say to these 12 guys, you run with it. Okay, everything that we've built us on, and I'm about to die for it. You 12 that are absolutely being dumb, you get to run with it. And Jesus decides, I'm just going to serve them. And so often in our lives, we just make excuses for why we can't serve. Right? We get home from work, and it's been a really long day, and I'm like, I don't have time to be nice to my family right now. Man, if people only knew how I was treated as a kid, if people knew the abuse that I had suffered, if people were aware of how difficult my past has been, they would let me have this chip on my shoulder. They would allow me to be rude. They would allow me to ignore when help is needed. Or maybe when you think about helping at church, you're like, yeah, I helped at another church one time. They just used me. They didn't appreciate me. Or maybe the areas that the church needs help, ah, it doesn't really fit what I like. Yeah, our family's really busy. We got a lot of things going, you know, getting to church every week, that's a really difficult thing. And then trying to help at the same time and serve, yeah, got a lot going. Oh, right now, you know, we can't really serve by, by giving of our time or even by giving of our dollars. It's just really rough. It's been a rough week. It's been a rough month. We're, we're just not going to be able to help out. But when we look at Jesus, I can't even imagine what he's going through. I can't even imagine all of the pressure. I don't believe that Jesus loved washing feet. Like, like nowhere through the story of Jesus does he ever say, I'm passionate about clean feet. Like, he, he hasn't been washing feet all along the way. But in this moment, he realized the thing that needed to happen more than anything is that he needed to serve. And he needed to demonstrate love. And it hadn't been a very good week for him. It wasn't a good week for him, and yet now we find him getting a towel and gathering the supplies and we keep reading. It says, and he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Washing feet is weird, right? Let's, like, when we think about washing feet today, it's kind of weird. But we have to understand sort of what was happening in the time. Like, it, at the time, washing feet was like common courtesy when somebody would come into your home. Like, if you came to my house, and let's say it was cold outside, and you walked in, I would notice that you have a coat on, and I would say, hey, can I take your coat? And you wouldn't be like, what, are you trying to steal my coat? You'd just be like, oh, he's trying to take my coat. Can I get you something warm to drink? You're like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, there'd probably be a handshake. If we know each other well, maybe a hug. If we're two dudes, we'll keep it cool, bro hug or whatever. You know, like, and we would all expect that. That's just, that's just the experience when you're the guest in a house. And so if you were to come into a house during the time that Jesus was living, the first thing that might happen is you might get a, get a kiss on the cheek. There wasn't a bro hug yet. They haven't brought that in, you know, so it was still just a kiss on the cheek. And then the, the host would say something like, would you like to have your feet washed? Now, it's important to understand that when the host would say, hey, would you like to have your feet washed? The host had no intention of washing your feet. It was too humiliating of a task. What the host was actually saying was, I'm really important, and you're really important, and I got a guy that will do that if you'd like to have your feet washed. The host was never actually going to do it. The host was like, yeah, I'm above that, but I got somebody that will wash feet for you. And when we really think about it, feet are disgusting, right? I mean, just honestly, mine especially, I just, I mean, my feet are nasty and dry and flaky, 
They're not super hairy, but there's enough hair that it's gross still. I got one weird deal going on on one of my big toenails. It's not like fungus or super horrible. It's just not very pretty, not fun. Can we get one of the cameras to zoom in, right? No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And, and there's a bigger issue with my feet than just being nasty. I am super ticklish. So I went and got a pedicure one day. I just got to let that hang for a second like it's a normal thing. <laughs> so I went and got a pedicure, and uh, when I walked in, this poor gal who's used to, like, cute, like, lady feet and toes, she's got to deal with my mess of a foot or feet. And so I sit down, I get in the chair, I put my feet in the water, and, and then when it's time for her to start, you know, whatever she's about to do, she pulls out one of those great big lopper toenail clipper things. You know, like the kind that, like, come from the side. You know, you can do a toenail with this, or then you can go trim up a bonsai tree or your rose bush. I mean, like, these are not normal clippers, these are like the big guns. So she clips all my toenails, and then when that's all done, then, it, then she moves to this pumice stone, I think is what it is, and she starts scraping off the rough spots, and, and as she starts to get to the middle of my foot, I start giggling. So, like, it's awkward enough that I'm sitting in this, I don't know what you call it, a pedicure place, shop. I don't know what you call those things. What do you call them? I don't know, place where they cut your toenails. Anyway, so I'm sitting there, and there's just women everywhere, and me, and I'm giggling. Like, <laughs> you can't stop. And as she works towards the middle of my foot, I am literally like, <laughs> I cannot stop it. And this lady, all these little ladies are washing the feet, doing the feet or whatever, and they're all just like. <laughs> oh, it was a rough day. I can't imagine that job, whoa. And so in the time of Jesus, if somebody was going to deal with feet, it would be a hired worker. And it wouldn't just be any hired worker. It would be the hired worker at the bottom, like the rookie, the new one. And the host would let everybody know how important they were and how important you were by saying, I got a guy. You want your feet washed? I got someone who will do this for you. The host is never going to do it. And now Jesus, during the final meal, the night before, he is about to give his life. He looks around the room and he sees a bunch of proud hearts. Who's going to be the greatest? I'm the greatest. Are you the greatest? I'm the greatest. But he also sees some dirty feet. And he's like, you know what? I know what I can do. And he goes and he puts on the servant's apron and he picks up the bucket and he fills it with water. And then everybody starts to gasp because Jesus begins to love by serving in a way that seemed beneath him. I mean, can you imagine the disciples in this moment when their leader is taking on the job of the lowest of servants? They had to be thinking, uh, uh, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I can't even really describe how, what that would feel like. I mean, imagine for the second that the, the, the Queen of England came to your house for dinner. And as dinner was starting to wrap up, she politely excused herself and she went down the hallway, and all of a sudden, you heard a bunch of banging in the utility closet. And then all of a sudden, she goes into your restroom, and, and you walk down the hallway, and you look in, and, and she's scrubbing your toilet, or the loo, or whatever she would call it. I don't know what, the, but she's clean, and you're like, uh, please stop? I, I, can't, I can't have the Queen of England cleaning my toilet. Maybe it's even a celebrity that you don't like. Maybe you have over the quarterback on the team that you hope always loses. So Tom Brady's at your house. And, and, and they just came over for some dessert. 
And when the dessert is done, they get up and, and you notice that they walk into your backyard and they go down into the flower bed and they just start weeding. You're like, well, what? no, 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 you can't, I can't, I can't, I can't let you do that. I, I, I would never, I, can't, I can't let Tom Brady weed my flowers. I can't let the Queen of England clean my toilet. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is lower than any example I can actually come up with. Because we're talking about Jesus. This, this is the Son of God. This is the Prince of Peace, the living water, the bread of life. He is our Redeemer. He is the one that makes us righteous. He is the light of the world. He is the Alpha, the Omega. That means He is from the beginning and the end. He is the first and last. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And He's stooping down and doing what was left usually for the lowest in society. And in His mind, He sees a need and a chance to serve His friends to maybe help change their perspective, to demonstrate how much he loved them. Showing this unlimited, ultimate love. Doing something that seemed beneath him was a chance to serve others, and Jesus was all over it. And Jesus noticed these feet that were dirty and some hearts that were proud. He's like, I can just wash their feet. And Jesus loved them right up to the end doing something that, everybody, something that everybody thought was beneath him. Did, doing something that, that demonstrated that he truly is the greatest because he was the servant to those that he was leading. And the God of the universe knelt down and started washing feet. And oftentimes we would say, ah, I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm too important. That, that, that's beneath me, I'm too busy. So here's your challenge. That whenever you begin to see a need that you can actually meet, to begin to ask God, is that one for me? I mean, I dare you to wake up each day and say, God, would you help me have the eyes to see the needs that I oftentimes overlook? God, would you give me the ears to hear the voices that are hurting? God, would you give me the heart to care about the needs that are around me? God, would you, would you cause me to pause long enough to ask, is that one for me? And here's what I think we'll find, is that oftentimes the ones that we believe are beneath us are the things that God is actually calling us to respond to. Or those times where we feel like, yeah, that one's a little not important enough for me. Someone else can take that one. Those are the times that I believe God will say, no, 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 this, is, this one's for you. And the truth is, what we will see as we begin to do this over and over again, as we begin to see this play out, what will begin to happen is we'll begin to understand that it's not just right actions, but the right attitude. But often, it's the right actions that will lead to the right attitude. So that means we start responding, and we take the right action, even if we're not sure we want to. And then we see the opportunity, and we take the right action, especially when we think it's beneath us, even when we feel like, ah, that could be done, but take that action. Respond to that action. Take the right action, take the right action, take the right action, and as you take the right action often enough, it will begin to shift to the right attitude. And that action that's repeated will begin to grow in you, the right attitude. So maybe we see a need and we say, yeah, that one's mine. Maybe we see some feet, feet that need to be washed, and we're like, yeah, that one's mine. Oh, my neighbor's lawn needs to be mowed, that one's mine. Oh, my brother needs some help with his homework? That one's mine. 
oh, that person with the bumper sticker for the candidate that I think is going to ruin the country, but they have a dead battery and I've got jumper cables? That one's mine. And we get outside of ourselves, and we have eyes to see and we have ears to hear and a heart that cares and we begin to find opportunities. And suddenly we begin to say, yeah, I can do that one. That one's mine. Oh, my friend needs some help. I can jump in. I know I'm busy, but I'm game. I can help. Maybe when church is back in session and everybody's here and you're walking through the lobby and we have so many people back in church and the garbage is overflowing and you think, man, they really need to get a custodian around here to get that gar... Oh, wait, I could probably empty that garbage. I think I could do that. And really, regardless of the area, it's beginning to say, God, whatever the opportunity is, when you reveal it to me, God, I want to take that action. I want to take that action and allow you to begin to change my attitude that it begins to say, God, this one's mine. I can do that. And maybe at first, again, it's, it's just about taking the right action and taking the right action and taking the right action, and eventually it leads to the right attitude. And it begins to generate within our hearts and it begins to be a part of who we are. And when that begins to happen, this incredible thing will happen when you and I choose to, to follow our leader and love like Jesus and begin serving. As we continue following the example of serving that was set by Jesus, it will do some amazing things in your life. And when you and I choose to serve, it's not just about what's going to happen to us. Obviously, we're trying to help other people, and we're trying to love those around us, that they will experience the love of Jesus in a tangible way. But when we begin to serve others, and we're loving others in this tangible way, it will actually begin to do some things in us and through us. There will literally be some benefits that will happen in your life when you choose to follow the leader and serve like Jesus. And one of the things that it will do is that when you follow the example of Jesus, what it will begin to do is that your children, you will show your children what is important in your life. When you begin to follow the love of Jesus and you begin to follow the example of Jesus, you will show your children what's important in your life. And when we begin serving, and not just serving, and serving isn't just something that we do, but it becomes something that we are, that it becomes an attitude built within us, our kids will begin to look and say, wow, my parent is really passionate about that. They'll begin to see it reflected in who we are. They'll begin to see Jesus reflected in who we are as we're serving others and as we're serving Jesus, and as it grows and develops this more intimate relationship with him. It becomes more than just what we do. It becomes who we are, and we're modeling it for our kids, and our kids begin to see that it's important to us, and they begin to recognize that we believe it more than just some words that we say, but it's a part of our heart and what we do, and then our kids begin to say, I think I'll follow suit. And our kids have the opportunity to begin to serve at the church and serve in life, and basically that's exactly what Jesus was trying to do for his disciples. He wanted them to see it happen and then respond. This is actually what Jesus told his, the disciples shortly after he washed their feet. And he said, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. If you want your kids to learn how to serve and care for others, you have to model it. And actually at Silver Creek, our goal is to help 4th, 5th, and 6th graders start the process of serving. Find ways to plug in. So that they are not just coming to church, that they become the church. That they're making a contribution, that they want to be here, that they recognize that they're value, they recognize that they belong, they recognize that there's a way that they can plug in, that they're not the church of the future, but they're the church of right now. And they offer an opportunity to become followers of Jesus in the way that they serve and living like our leader, and it begins to transform who they are, and it begins to transform who we are.
And when we start following our leader and serving like Jesus, it will also transform lives, oftentimes starting with your own. So many times I hear people searching for a church and looking for a church, and I went to this church, this church wasn't meeting my need, and this church wasn't meeting my need. I I honestly don't care what church you go to. It could be Silver Creek. It could be any church. But if the question is always, how will this church serve me and meet my needs better, you will always fall short until you decide to push in and to serve within the church and serve through the church and serve alongside of the church and whatever it's doing to impact the community and the world. And when that begins to happen, the transformation that will be possible in your life will be like nothing else. When we decide to serve others, one of the greatest benefits is to your own life. And the change that begins to happen and the shift in attitude that begins to take place and your perspectives begin to change and your connections with people get stronger and your sensing of closeness to Jesus develops as you're loving like him. And then lastly, when we follow our leader and serve like Jesus, it will allow the church to function at full strength. When you and I have the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the heart to care, and we start to say, oh, I can do that. That one's mine. There will be some incredible things. And God has some incredible things in store for what this church is going to accomplish and what we are seeking to do. And in all of those things that God wants to accomplish, there is a lot of us that are already here, whether it's Elizabeth or I or our staff or other volunteers. There's a lot of us that are capable of a lot of things, but there are some things that none of us are capable of because it's the thing that you're capable of. And unless you do the thing that you're capable of doing, we will never be able to accomplish that thing as a church. I mean, basically, we're all in a boat together, and we're all headed in the same direction. If you're a part of the church, we're all in the boat, and we're all headed in the same direction, and we need everybody to go find their oar and pick it up and put it in the water. And now the boat starts moving in its full strength because we're able to operate at our full potential because everybody's picked up their oar. And even though we're in this time of coronavirus and all this, we are still a church that's striving to bring transformation to our world and to our community. And all of us have an opportunity to get in the boat and pick up our oar and allow us to move at full strength. But it only happens when we decide that we're going to love like Jesus. And love like Jesus through serving. One of our early church leaders, a guy by the name of Paul, wrote this. He says, there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. Essentially saying, there's all kinds of ways that you and I can get involved, and it's not going to look the same way, but we're all ultimately serving the same Lord. And the greatest way that you and I can serve Jesus is to serve people. And again, there's lots of ways that that can look like, and it won't look like the same for each of us. We're all at different points in life. We've all had different situations in life. We all have different challenges presented. But the opportunities to serve allow us as a church to be stronger, allow us to have a greater reflection of who Jesus is. But ultimately, in each of our lives, as we learn to follow the leader and serve like Jesus, we will love people around us. One of the greatest ways that Jesus served us was when he chose to die on the cross. And he chose to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And during this meal, Jesus took a moment and he said to his guys, he's like, listen, I want to give you a process for you to remember what I did for you. And Jesus took some bread and he broke it and he passed it around and he said, I want you to take this bread and I want you to eat it and I want you to recognize that it's a representation of my body. My body that's going to be broken for you when it's nailed to the cross and my body is going to be broken so that you can have life. 
So he said, eat this bread and remember that. And then he took some wine and he passed it around and he said, I want you to take a drink of this and I want you to recognize that this wine represents my blood that's going to be poured out on the cross for your forgiveness, for the forgiveness of your sin. And we define sin as any time you and I take an action that, that breaks relationship with God or with other people. And Jesus said, I will die for that so that you don't have to. And so we take the cup and we drink it and we remember Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And at Silver Creek, communion is, is literally open to anyone that would believe that Jesus did that for them. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to take a special class. You simply say that you recognize that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. We would invite you to share and receive communion this morning. So in your chairs here, if you're in the room, uh, hopefully you receive those supplies. So I'm going to pray in just a second, and then I'm going to encourage you to open those cups up and, and pour out the communion juice for each person in your family and then there's some crackers and I'll walk you through those steps but let's pray Jesus thank you so much for this morning thank you for this incredible act of, of sacrifice the ultimate service that you made for us Jesus this morning would you help us to just remember and to reflect what an incredible gift that was we love you thank you for all that you've done amen so if you want to take the bread or the cracker that you've got, distribute it to the people in your family. If you're at home, distribute that around. And remember that this bread, this cracker, represents Jesus' body that was broken for you. You can eat the bread. Jesus took the cup and he passed it around and he said, I want you to recognize that this, this is a representation of my body or my blood that will be poured out for you for your forgiveness of sin. You can drink the cup. you think about this idea of, of following the leader and serving the way Jesus did, each week we just challenge you to think through and reflect what's your next step going to be. This morning, what is your next step? And this morning, maybe your next step is to determine that you will serve someone this week in an irrational way. Maybe your next step is to identify the excuses you've made that have limited your service. Maybe your next step is to focus on getting either your actions right or getting your attitude right. Maybe your next step is simply not to settle for a life void of serving others. Whatever it is, I would just challenge you to respond to what Jesus is saying to you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, this morning we recognize that you are the most incredible leader. Jesus, you demonstrated for us what it looks like to live a life of service. Jesus, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us a heart to feel and ears to hear, to recognize the needs that are around us, to see those opportunities for us to step in. God, as we reflect and recognize and remember your incredible sacrifice on the cross, would it motivate us to serve those around us? 
to step up and take care of the needs that we see. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.